Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, joystick wagglers. Can you believe it? We're racing towards the end of Series 2 of Games Master. It's been a fun time on the Games Rig, but it's almost time to head into the Games Master Academy and hang out with Dexter Fletcher for a series. But we can't round off Series 2 without hearing from you fine folks. So get in touch with your feedback for Series 2 of Games Master by emailing feedback at underconsultation.com with either an MP3 or written word, and it will be featured on the show, which will go out at the end of October. Let us know your favourite episodes, challenges, celebrities, features, and all your least favourite moments in between. Send your message to feedback at underconsultation.com or find us on social media at underconsolepod on Twitter or at under.console on Instagram. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Games World. Tonight is Fight Night with the Eliminator. Greetings and welcome to the tent, I guess. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's third greatest video game challenge TV show, Games World. I am one of your podiators, Luke, the level select cheats, Owen. And I am your other podiator for this evening. Podiator? Is that what we're going with? (laughs) I think so. It sounds like something you put in your shoes, like for odor removal. But anyway, either that or yeah, it's it's either that or what we would have done if this was a Gladiators podcast. Yes, but there is already a Gladiators podcast now, so we're going to have to come up with something else when we're done with Games Master. Regardless, yeah. I am Ash, the Konami Coder versus. And this is our bonus episode review of the first episode of Games World, which aired on the 1st of March, 1993. Uh, This is a show that I have no memories of whatsoever because I didn't have Sky 
So it was a band, band substance in the Owen household. As in my, I mean, I say in my youth, like to this day, it is a band substance. So I, I didn't even know that this show was a thing until pretty much we started doing this podcast. I, I love to think of this as a band substance. Like there's a list of do's and don'ts in the Owen household, and it's like okay, marijuana, cocaine, Sky. Yeah, it was basically Sky, Sky, Power Rangers, and wrestling. I mean, let's be honest, at least one of those really backfired in a big, big way. Because <laughs> you're a big Power Rangers fan. Huge. Love it. <laughs> I was aware of Games World because I didn't have Sky, but I knew people that did. Not many of them. It was very much a luxury item. And also, mm. I do remember the Games World magazine that came out in 1994 because I bought the first issue and I remember looking at it going, I have no idea what any of this is referring to. And I don't think I bought another issue, I'm afraid. Because while Games Master had ties to the TV show and its magazine, it was also a very, very good games magazine in its own right. And and I don't have that level of fond memories about Games World being accessible to people that couldn't watch the television show but there's a lot of crossover with games master not only just from you know the production company was the same production company but rick henderson uh who's in the credits of the first series and i think for the rest of the show's run is working on games master kind of currently in our timeline like when we interviewed him for games master live 92 he was talking about how he was you know in the Hewland family, Dominic Diamond appears in the review episode. I think like as second in this first series run, reviewing some of the games that we've seen. You know, Dave Perry's on this show. Jeremy Daltrey is the color commentator. Like, there's a lot of crossover with Games Master. Dominic Diamond does appear in the second episode, and you can tell it's postseason for him because he looks nothing like he did on the games, Rick. Yeah, clearly the impending explosion took its toll on him and it's really funny as well because he reviews global gladiators in that and we talked about you know i wonder what dominic diamond thought of global gladiators considering that he walked off games master in series three because of the mcdonald's sponsorship and we were like yeah you know it's not really overly mcdonald's no his review in series two is just like i think it's just it's criminal it's not a game it's a walk-in advert uh, there are so many mcdonald's signs all over the place it's just the complete product placement i think it's outrageous that this could be released as a game and uh, please please if you have one protest march this year make it about this game I'm going to give it a big fat ozone friendly zero. I know it's terribly wishy washy liberal of me, but uh, this game is sick. This is a terrible corporate shilling nonsense and it deserves zero percent. I mean, it is terrible corporate shilling nonsense. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with him on that. But I also love the fact that like in, seri in series two of Games Master, he's still playing by the book. He's still playing by, I am the host of this show. I'm not going to be very, I'm not going to be negative about any of these games. And I'm going to play by the rules. As soon as he goes off to Games World and it's post series two, he's like, F that game and F everything it stands for. Not my show, not my problem. I'm going to get these kids hopped up on sugar and leave someone else to deal with it. <laughs> There's a wicker basket in that bathroom that is not going to survive the night. Also, when you get to the credits on this episode, beginning of the career for David Walliams here, he was involved in the show and is credited right here in episode one. Is there a cheat on Sonic 2? Um, might be. <laughs> of course. Here's one. Go to the option screen, the music test one. Select tune 19, play for a few seconds, then tune 65, tune 9, and finally tune 17. 
Okay. Press start, get back to the intro screen, hold down A and press start when Sonic and Tails appear, and completely mad, a level select. Smash him! And also Miff Moore. Mm, yes. Rally driver. Rally driver and once and former girlfriend of Dominic Diamond. Yes, absolutely. But while many, particularly those of us who didn't have access to Sky, may consider Games World to be a poorer cousin, and I'll be honest, it kind of looks like it going by production values, it was quite different because Games Master, 20 to 25 episode runs once a week. Games World, five days a week. Yeah, they were like, it's it's a big show. And, you know, I was kind of skimming through the Wikipedia page under this, and it said like it was Sky's biggest show at the time. It was only being beaten really by the WWF and The Simpsons you know, American imports. And I think if you're on five days a week, that probably helps. But also I think that really shows you just how popular video games were at this point in history. It was certainly the most popular British production that Sky had, although circa 92, 93, Sky wasn't known for its original programming. But yeah, it was big. It went out Monday to Friday, about 6, 6.30pm, and it was split into different sections. So the episode we're starting with here was part of a competition section that went Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You had people playing for a chance to compete on the Friday, on the Monday and Wednesday. Yes. Tuesday was reviews and hints, and then slightly later, a sitcom based around one of the videators, Big Boy Barry, otherwise known as Alex Very, otherwise known as one of our Sonic competitors way back from season one. Mm -hmm. And then Thursday was the Milk the Audience episode where they got them to call in to play games via two different ways. In season one, it was someone was playing the game and they were shouting directions down the phone. But from season two onwards, touch phones were used. Yes. So they would hold down the button and it'd kind of be using the number pad as a D-pad and basic actions. Yeah. While I didn't see it on Games World, they used to do it on Live and Kicking as well. And they used to do it on, I think it was What's Up Doc on ITV because they used Magic Pockets. That's right, yeah. So the Monday and Wednesday show would bring out two finalists. Then on the Friday, those two finalists would face off for the chance to fight the videators, which is where we get our cast of characters. We had Big Boy Barry, who we mentioned earlier. We had Master Moriarty, who was kind of a stuck-up schoolboy. We had the Games Messiah, Letty Edwards, who we've already seen a number of times on Games Master and was a gaming granny. Mm-hmm. Radion Automatic, journalist writing for CVG, Nintendo Magazine System, and just part of that whole cavalcade of magazines. The Ninja and the Executioner. Now, of those videators, the last four, by the end of Season 1, gone. It's also worth noting there that the Games Messiah is played by Doug Johns, former Games Master contestant and contributor. We saw him on the Star Fox episode and guest on this podcast. Now, I suspect the reason why everyone except Barry and Moriarty were given the boot is because apparently they didn't do terribly well. Barry Mm. and Moriarty were the ones who actually won the majority of their challenges. They were the ones that were real competitors. And for season two, the game's messiah did return, but was played by someone else. And the cast of videators would change over the next three seasons. And by season four, all of the original videators had gone, and the only returning videator was one who'd been introduced in season two. 
So I did find a couple of magazine clippings relating to Games World. Most of these were from the February-March issues, the first of which came from Games Master magazine. And at this point, it was actually shilling for people to come on the show. It said, Games World is a new nightly games B-Sky B-TV show put together by Hewland International, the people behind the glorious Games Master. It's scheduled to start its run as we media people say, in March. And at this very moment, they're looking for games players to take part in the show. The programme will be beamed to dishes across the nation five times a week, with each evening's entertainment following a particular theme. So if you're interested, drop the producers a line at GamesWorld, followed by the address. Even if you aren't lucky enough to get on the show, you might receive some tickets to go along and watch. So, fairly standard little bit of bump from the Games Master magazine, and understandable given the ties that the entire thing will have to them and their parent company. CVG is a little less kind. Oh. Bad Influence has finished its first series and Games Master will be winding up and off our screen soon. So where will all you TV game show junkies be getting their fix after that? The answer is Games World, a new five nights a week prog that Hewland International, the makers of Games Master, has produced for Sky TV. The show should already be on the air by the time you read this, going out each weeknight at 6.30 on Sky One and coasted by none other than ex-CVG editor Tim Boone. Not in the episode we watched, but he was there. Yeah, I did have a look at episode five and he was the commentator on that one. There's a different format for the programme each day, ranging from reviews and tips nights to a features and interview show and special challenges where viewers take on the might of the videators, a bunch of absurdly dressed joypad bashers who claim to be the best games players in the galaxy. Or something. So is the new show worth splashing out 200 odd quid for a sky dish? The truth is, we don't know, because no one on CVG is sad enough to own one and so we haven't seen it yet. It's fairly damning, basically dissing on people that have Sky. Clearly they're in alignment with your dad. (laughs) But they do have a picture of some of the videators here, including Letty, who appears to be wearing a tight curl wig and a pale blue cardigan and is basically dressed like a blue rinse brigader. Absolutely, yeah. They're very much leaning into the gaming granny persona. There's a kid wearing the blazer, the straw boater that just looks eminently punchable. There's a horrific Asian stereotype and there is an executioner, surprise, surprise, dressed as an executioner. (laughs) (laughs) And I can just see the top of the cap and the side of the arm of big boy Barry, who may be a big boy, but he's not so big that he can't be completely obstructed by a picture of the hosts. A couple of other names as well that we've had crossed over from the Games Master World in the commentary booth. I mentioned Dave Perry earlier and Jeremy Doldry. You mentioned Tim Boone. But future co-commentator of Games Master, Kirk Ewing, would also be a commentator for Games World. And lastly, in the connections, former Games Master celebrity contestant, Diane Udale, aka Jet from Gladiators, would play the role of the game's mistress. I can make it right to the end of Chat Rock, but I can't beat Gary Grid to the dinosaur. Can you show me how, please? Can Larry the Lamb bleed? Basically, you need to kick him in the head. A handy hint for later life, that remember. If you're ever faced by a huge green dinosaur in hideous boxer shorts, all you need to do is belt him between the chops. Go up on the platforms and goat him into trying to bite you. When he tries, jump out of the way sharpish and then jump kick him in the old noggin. That's it, and give it a go. Timing is the secret. Once you get the hang of it, just repeat until Gary gives up. Keep going. Yes, persistence, little boy. Persistence. Oh, Chuck and Ophelia are reunited once more. Isn't it sweet? That's the lesson ended. Don't you have a home to go to? 
And we get to see the game's mistress in Series 3 of Games Master as well. She's one of the celebrity contestants again. I think it's something quite crass, like winning a date with her or something. It is indeed something that crass. (laughs) Now, information about Games World is quite thin on the ground, as are complete episodes. In fact, the episode we're reviewing tonight is missing the first three minutes. Mm. So via forensic science a.k.a. what they did at the beginning of other episodes, I kind of pieced together what the title sequence was and what the host, Bob Mills, may have done. However, there is someone we can speak to who may be able to provide a bit more insight as regards Games World. And that man is former guest on this show and future Games Master commentator and reviewer, Rick Henderson. Just in case our audience might not know who you are or they didn't hear you on our Games Master Live 92 episode, uh, what was your role on Games World? Um, I started on Games World as a researcher back in uh, early 90s, um, but worked my way up to being the whole series producer by Series 4. So uh, I worked on every single series of Games World. I also was the Violet Blade, aha! The, uh, the the videator, um, which came about sort of like weirdly, um, but ended up being quite a significant part of my life at the time. Uh, how did you get involved with the show? Um, I was actually a video games journalist. Um, I, I started in video games journalism in the late 80s, 87, 88. Um, and uh, I knew someone who was working on Games Master at the time. And, uh, of course, it was the same production company, Hewland International, who was um, starting Games World for Sky One. And I I left games journalism for a job on Bella magazine, weirdly. And um, and I got a phone call from a friend of mine who was a, an ex-games journalist as well and just said, uh, we're launching a brand new TV show. Would you like to come in for an interview to be part of it? Now, I went to acting school, but I hadn't ever worked in television. So, um, and not sort of like behind the scenes. So I kind of, I kind of sort of mulled it over. But to be honest, I was, I'd reach, I had hit a, a wall with Bella. I was earning a hideous amount of money for doing very little. And uh, I wasn't very satisfied by that, weirdly. Um, <laughs> so I decided um, to take him up on his offer. I went to see them. And it was, it was a glorious time because, um, as Jane Hewland always used to say, uh, she would rather um, bring in people who knew what they were talking about, i.e. video games, than people who knew anything about television because you can teach the TV practices and the TV skills, but you cannot teach the ingrained love for a subject. And uh, so I was hired on the exact same day as Richard Osman for Games World as researcher of, I I was on The Eliminator, which is actually the very first ever episode of Games World I worked on. Do you know sort of how the show came came to be in terms of, you know, Hewland were were making Games Master for Channel 4? Was it something that Sky approached them and said, can you also make a version for us? And then from that, like, how did the five-day-a-week format come about? Yeah, it was something similar to that. Obviously, I wasn't actually there when, before pre-commission, I sort of joined after it had already been commissioned and we were working on it. Um, but quite a long time before it actually went to air because we were still working on the formats when I joined. Um, but Sky, as far as I know, um, Sky approached Hewland, said, uh, we really like Games Master. 
would you consider doing something for us? And at the time, it was going to be just a normal, regular show. But uh, somewhere along the lines, uh, they realised they had a very, you know, the thing about Sky at that time is it wasn't making an awful lot of its own content. Uh, um, I mean, we're talking about 92. So that was that was quite early in Sky's Sky's life as a broadcaster, it was a it was um, mainly known for sport at that point. So it was trying to expand its Sky One proposition, and it had The Simpsons, which was its big, big flagship show. But it didn't really have an awful lot else, and it certainly didn't have much for kids. One thing led to another, and it had an awful lot of time and little content. That I think it was Jane then turned around and said, "Well, why don't we make?" multiple shows i don't think it was designed originally to go over 26 weeks i mean that that sort of like was a phenomenal undertaking <laughs> both from sky as in trust to just one company but also from ourselves because it was a hell of a lot of content we made a hell of a lot and um, considering we did it for three years and then took a break and then i was tasked with bringing it back um and uh and the remade show, the sort of like the season four, the reboot season, was very different in, indeed. It was sort of same yeah. sort of uh, comp- competitive show, but it was fifteen minutes every morning at seven thirty in the morning. It was quite a weird time slot. To give you some sort of idea of the concept at the very beginning, Eliminator was the um, was uh, players against each other. In in modern parlance, uh, it was PvP. Um, then um, the final show, and the two there were two shows of that, and they uh, the winner of each of those shows um, would then have to battle it out at the beginning of Beat to the Elite, which was on Fridays, and the winner of that one battle would then go on to face the videators, who were handpicked uh, games players who dressed in stupid costumes. Some of which are sort of Games Master uh, faces, because you had Alex Ferry, uh, Big Boy Barry, Letty Edwards. Um, and I, I think Doug Johns was also one of the videos. Doug Johns was one of the... Was he in the original series? I think he was in the second series with me. Yeah. Um, he actually became the Games Messiah, and there's that in itself caused some quite, some scandal, because all of his oh, yeah? gags... Because I, I, I don't think I did it for the first series, but for the second series and on, I wrote a lot of the scripts for the videators as well as sort of like was one. And mm. so we'd gone from sort of like just pleasantries to really stupid gags and mainly knob gags. <laughs> um, apart from the Games Messiah, because of course he was dressed as Jesus. He mm. looked like him. Um, and he also had, and this was the consternation. <laughs> he also had um, sort of like, holes in his hands um so there were an awful lot of jokes about and 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 i'm sorry you know i i was you know i'm sorry for anybody deeply religious out there we didn't mean to upset anyone or or belittle the religion itself but all of his jokes were about being nailed or nailing this one or (laughs) or it being a thorny progress or you know it was just (laughs) It was genuinely. I mean, thinking back on it, how we got away with everything on Games World, I have no idea. <laughs> there was some extraordinary bits, especially with David Williams as well. That was that was, oh man. <laughs> there were some moments that uh, that even Sky would phone us up at sometimes. Go really. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was uh, the way I would describe Games World was genuinely Games Master ramped up to like the nth degree because 
Sky didn't. The one great thing about Sky is it wasn't as regulated because it was broadcast over satellite. It wasn't as regulated as Gamesmaster on Channel Four. Yeah. So we didn't have to comply with the, the exact rules that Gamesmaster had to comply. So we would test that constantly. I mean, really test it with real near the knuckle stuff and aim at um, jokes that adults would love that, that, that dads would sit with their kids and they would watch it and the dad would be laughing his head off because those were the jokes we were aiming at things that made us laugh and and then kids would get that and i think that's why it was a set it was, it was actually it was a huge success the final of the first season was uh got more viewers than simpsons oh wow yeah so so it it turned out to be incredibly successful tv show uh, that first season was very weird and not, I would say, not very good <laughs> in terms of the sets were really cheap and there were just bits about it that just didn't really work that well. But the, from the second season on, it just became a really good show. And I will still look back on that and I'll say that would still work today, like BTV, for example, with with, yeah. um, with Barry and David Williams. That would work as a format today. So the, the videators themselves, um, how did that idea kind of come about? Was it kind of influenced by gladiators? It was actually more influenced by WWE or WWF oh, cool. as it okay, was yeah. then. Yeah, um, We were all big fans, actually, and so was Jane Hewland and her son. And he was kind of quite pivotal in testing stuff for Games World when we sort of like we'd go, what do you think of this, Harry? And he'd, and he'd give us some feedback because he was quite young at the time. And, and WWE was very much in our minds to have this, this sort of character. At first, we wanted to have a show where uh, the kids could play against professional games players. And there were some around. Um, proper games players who who were big on their on street fighter and stuff like that who did it competitively and we started looking at the professional games players no disrespect to them they were of a type and also the best video games players were obviously going to be better at their chosen games than the contestants so um so we had to reevaluate how to do that and so what we decided to do is to make it character based based on wwe and say like these characters would come in and they make it entertaining but also they might be games players but not necessarily professional games players um and it went from there so some of them were better than others like alex very was a extremely good at playing games at that time we'd got him because he was a contestant on games master series one but um but uh gary harrod for example who wore a gimp mask <laughs> as the execution he was not happy about that ever <laughs> he actually <laughs> he used to work at emap on the magazines and he was a particularly big Street Fighter player and he was very good at it. So we sort of like kind of went, right, let's have some people that are really hard to beat, but also some people that aren't. Like uh, Master mm. Moriarty um, was a kid who was really good. Again, I think he was a contestant at one point. But um, but he was a good games player, but he wasn't like unbeatable. Um, and uh, Letty was, uh, God bless her, the <laughs> glamorous granny. Um, again, good games player. She was on, again, a Games Master contestant. I think she did a Sonic was, Challenge yeah. or something, didn't she? As King, uh, King of the Monsters 2. Oh, uh, that was it. Uh, with, with Auntie Marisha. Uh, that was it, yeah. Um, and uh, so we brought those in and, and it worked because it was entertaining. And we also then came up with the idea that the contestant didn't know who they were going to face in the next challenge. And then that came up with the idea of them betting their points before they knew who they were going to 
uh, face. So they could sort of like double. It's almost like a double or nothing kind of game. Um, and, it, and it ended up working. Um, but yeah, the videators were a very strange thing. But at the end of that first season, what we realized is that the videators were kind of downplayed in the first season. They were sort of like you only... You saw them occasionally, but they were they they didn't they hadn't become the stars that they they then ended up becoming. By the time we got to the second season, um, we realised we needed some new videators because some people a didn't want to do it anymore because it was long days of filming, and when you're in a gimp mask for twelve <laughs> hours, you kind of don't really want to do it again. So it was long it was long days, but also we just needed a bit more character. So, yeah. uh, so for, I can't remember whose idea it really was, but somebody came up to me. Now, like I said before, I went to uh, Anishir Children's Theatre, which was the same acting school as ninety percent of the games, uh, the Grange Hill cast. And so, I somebody said, "Well, you do behind camera and front camera equally as well." While you are a producer, on I think I was working on one of the other shows at that point. Um, would you also like to come on and be a videator? And so I went, all right, then I think I can't, I think it might've been Jane Hewland's idea that I should be a pirate because I had a goatee beard <laughs> or something. And, uh, and the rest is history. Of course, she, what she hadn't said is we'd like you to be the, um, the most flamboyant pantomime pirate you could possibly be. That was all me. <laughs> that was just me yeah. going, I want to have fun with this. There've been some stories from the people who were on the show and there've been other stories as well, but some of the videators really didn't like to lose, which is why oh, yeah. you know, sometimes there's were like retapes. Um, so yeah, that is very much a case of that. Some of them just really took the knock if, if they did get beaten. Oh yeah, absolutely. Some were uh, electric Eddie. Uh, he, he hated losing. I mean, genuinely. <laughs> I mean, to, to the extent where he, he would have a paddy about it. Um, <laughs> and um there was, I can't remember who else, Gary Harrod, the, the executioner who was mentioned before in the first series. Yeah, he hated losing because he, he felt, it was a bit like Dave Perry in the fact mm. that he had a career outside of Games World where his career was sort of like built up as he's really good at games. And, and I can totally appreciate that. I totally appreciate oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. they were making, the vast majority of their career was was about their own personal image as games players. So when you sort of like say, right, you're going to lose against a 12-year-old, then uh, then you can see that they would get upset by that. Others of us used to see it a bit more like it's a bit of fun. Now, I was told quite recently that my record was actually really good. But the mm. way I remember it is that I lost every <laughs> week. <laughs> Because I didn't really mind. I I was kind of, I always saw myself as the one that came on, did an outrageous knob gag, hit someone and uh, and just had a laugh with it. And unless I played FIFA, in which case I purposely made sure I never lost because that was the game that I was known for. But every other time I, just, I didn't mind. I genuinely didn't mind that I lost because somebody had to, you know, otherwise we'd have never, we wouldn't have had a final. There'd be nobody left. Um, so I, I genuinely didn't mind. Um, Alex was up and down about it, actually. It depended on the game. Again, I think he was a bit more like me. It was all mm. about the fun and it was all about the camaraderie. And funniest thing is, is that the people who really took it to very, very seriously, they didn't have a queue of people wanting their autograph afterwards. It was me, mm. Alex, Martin Mathers, because we didn't take it too seriously. We were, we were there for entertainment's value more than the gaming. Are there any challenges that really stick out in your mind from your time as a videator or like, you know, just from the, the show as, as a whole? I'm trying. I used to love the, uh, the, the games that the 
the players would do to get the points. Um, Cash Dash and Heimdall were yeah. the two games I used to love watching and setting up. Uh, Cash Dash, I actually was involved in the development of. Heimdall was a game that was already out, and we particularly liked the uh, the axe throwing thing. Yeah, it'd been used to their challenge in Series One. Yes, yes, exactly. That's that's how it all came about. Was um, Eric Bristow, wasn't it? And that's how it came about. He'd played it, and we went, "Oh, that's perfect!" Because you, it was a game where you could set as an exact time limit and say you had two minutes to get to to finish it, or, or you could say the quickest one finishes. Um, and uh, and that was pretty much what that what that sort of like drove Games World in itself was every single game that was on Games World had to be particularly tightly timed. Couldn't yeah. be loose like Games Master because Games Master was a, was slightly looser format, so they could juggle things around. As was a competitive format, so it had to be really closely timed. The relationship that you had with Games Master, obviously, you know, it, was, it was the same production company uh, we talked about on the the podcast review that we've just done in the first episode. Lot familiar faces between the two shows jeremy doldry tim boone was involved dominic diamond is in the the reviews episode uh you know yourself and, and doug johns and jane obviously um but was there any sort of like sort of competitive rivalry between the two productions or was it very much just a sort of let's just all muck in and just have fun together yeah literally no competitive rivalry we used to share everything um and like you say a lot of the people worked across both because Games Master tended to be on a different uh, filming schedule to us. So what would happen is we'd film, I mean, 26 weeks is a lot of filming, but the, yeah. um, but we would film in blocks and Games Master tended to be filmed while we were either in pre-production or post-production. And so therefore, some people weren't needed anymore. You need more people on filming days than you do in either pre or post production. So some people would come onto Games World, help help for the filming um, of the whole show, and then would move on to Games Master. So there was so mm. much cross cross pollination, even between series. Um, so it never felt like, uh, uh, even though they were next door to us, it never felt like it was us versus them it just felt like we were no. one big happy family um also because games world was kind of different it kind of complemented games master and vice versa that's what that's the way we kind of felt like it um and also when you're negotiating with a company to get a brand new level of game that isn't even out yet it helps that you can say well we'll get it on channel 4 and sky one games master used to get the exclusives more uh, before us because yeah. Obviously, it was not only did it have much bigger viewing figures, but also there was a bit of reverence between us. It was like Games Master was the first show; it was the flagship show. So, uh, and it quite rightly got the games exclusively. So they would film it, and we would make sure that we wouldn't show it before them. The changes that were made uh, in the the series that you were working that you were sort of leading up. Uh, take us through some of those changes and, and how those changes came about. Well, the first series, um, for people who probably don't remember, because it's actually hard to remember the first series or, or even see some of it today, because that's the one that's least likely to be found on things like YouTube. Yeah. Um, it, it was based around a sort of circus theme. And on Mondays were eliminated, Wednesdays eliminated, Friday beat the elite. But on Tuesdays, I think it was Madam Pixel's Beat Parlor. And on Thursdays, House of Games, or vice versa. But they didn't get as many viewers by a, by any shade as um, uh, uh, Eliminator and Beat the Elite. In addition, they um, were hard to make, and cheats had become 
rather pointless to do because right. mo vast majority of them, we, as we always discovered, wouldn't work or they would be of games that people didn't really own. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we got rid of the cheats as a show itself, and that's when we introduced um, uh, Barry's Joypad. It was called the second season, um, which was a sitcom with reviews and cheats in it, and yeah. Games Master uh, Games World Live which was a genuinely live show. That's what I worked on in the second series. Genuinely live show where kids played games against each other live on air from their homes using a telephone keypad. Yeah. That was weird. <laughs> and the lag was so bad that most of the time it just genuinely didn't work. Um, and then the third season, Barry's Joypad, became BTV, which is by far and away my favourite thing. And uh, Games Master Live carried on, but Jeremy Daldry took over as presenter of that yeah. season. So finally, just before I, uh, I let you go, what's sort of your, 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 I don't want to say your best memory, but sort of like what's one of your favourite memories from working on Games World? Um, uh, it's, there's one very simple thing to say is that literally every single person that I, I hold as a close, dear friend in this world worked with me on games world or games master um so obviously it had a very profound impact i didn't go to university you see so in a way because i was only or well, i was 21 22 when i first started on uh hewland so wow. in a way it was my university it was the time yeah, when yeah. i i formed the strongest bonds and so that obviously is a, a, a memory that i you know that is something that is, I, I i hold very dear but um, I my the funniest things. It, it's specifically as the Violet Blade. I have a couple of stories I can tell that mm. I will always remember that really make me laugh. Um, there was one where um, they the very first costume they got me as the Violet Blade was a girl's blouse mm. to make it frilly to look like a pirate. But with but because I'm a, a, not a very hirsute gentleman. Mm -hmm. Um. They said, oh, to make him more pirate-like, we'll give you this this wig, this fake chest hair. Yeah. But it was just a normal wig shoved down my top <laughs> and yeah. stuck to me with with um, spirit gum. And I was brutally allergic to it. Oh, no. Brutally. Um, so that first batch of film in which I wore it, I didn't wear it for the second batch of film. So I, I mysteriously didn't have it for the second half of the series. But the uh, first batch of film in, you could see on the first show that I was on, I had a bit of red. And as the shows go on, the red's creeping up my neck and Oof. creeping up my neck. And you can just see by the end of it, I'm just completely red. <laughs> it's just it was horrible it's absolutely horrible that was that's a funny story i can tell but the second one is better is that alex very big boy barry went to bournemouth to um to he'll be panicking at the moment i'm not telling that bit of the story that he panicked about <laughs> but um but uh they we had this this director it was for btv called tom who was just brilliant but also very strict and um, we were we had to keep getting it. We were at the end of this pier and it was quite cold. I mean, it was freezing, in fact. And he was saying it'd be, it looked great if you've just turned up in your boat and you've climbed up this ladder from this pier. And I went, oh, I really don't want to do that. And he said, no, really, honestly, it's great. And I looked down. It's just this rusty old ladder. 
and uh, and he said it looked brilliant so i went down it and the sea was lapping up and lapping up and i realized that the bottom rungs of the ladder weren't even there and i just sort <laughs> of like put my feet straight into the sea and i was coming up and i came up and i just and i was meant to be really happy to see alex and you watch on the show I was just in the grumpiest mood of all time. <laughs> and everybody else just really laughing behind the scenes. Yeah, I didn't like that very much. But we, there was a lot of that. There was a hell of a lot of that sort of thing going on. So you mentioned earlier in this episode that we, it was we struggled to kind of find a full version of this episode but we sort of managed to piece things together a little bit. What I will say is that the intro is very 90s. The intro is stonkingly 90s, almost (laughs) as 90s as the word stonk, because while episode one is incomplete, there are complete episode twos and five. So technically we can see how what we see in the first episode ends up. Who knows? Maybe we will at a later date. Anything can happen. I think one of the reasons why there are so few complete episodes of Games World is because of its frequency. You can fit an entire season of Games Master on a couple of VHS tapes. Even less if you use long play and you've got a four-hour tape. That's eight hours. That's mm-hmm. that's doable. That That's doable. But five nights a week, four weeks a month, X months a year... One, it's going to be expensive at this point in time to record all of that. Two, the chances of being able to manipulate the VCR and the Skybox at the same time consistently for five days a week, that's pretty slim. Especially because with Sky, you couldn't at that point record one channel and watch another. The Skybox signal went through the VCR and then up to the TV. So whatever channel you were watching is the channel you were recording. So the title sequence itself, we start on a suspiciously deserted tube station platform. Even in lockdown, I've never seen a tube station platform this empty. The train is announced for East Ealing, but it never arrives, and instead one pulls up for the destination games world. Our focal point is a young lady dressed as Chun-Li. Because 90s. Because why not? There is another version of this, which I think is used for the review episode, where it's a young lad with sunglasses and a skateboard. Because they're cool. He is cool. But the train that pulls up is definitely not your standard London underground rolling stock. It's kind of more of a bullet train. They get on, they sit down, and they're immediately locked into it like it's a roller coaster. And that's because it is. And off we go on a title sequence that is essentially a 2D scroller that sees them going up and down and around in loops and around and via helter-skelters and, and ferris wheels, past houses, which is a set that will be used for the review episode, and eventually, in this case, crashing at the big top. The big top that is used for the big competitions, of which this is the first. Thank you! Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you! Thank you! Welcome, welcome to Games World. It's Monday, so we play the Eliminator round. Thousands upon thousands of them. Great big sacks of mail. They've all written in, please, please, we want to come and be on your show. But we go through with a fine-tooth come and we find only the very, very best. And tonight, we've got five competitors from the length and breadth of the land who will be coming on here, competing against each other to earn the right to win, A, the Eliminated Champions Jacket, but more importantly, the right to come back on Friday and play Beat the Elite, where they come up against the top games players in the world, our very own videators. 
So let's crack right on now and meet, please, tonight's contestant. And because of the rip that we've got, we don't get introduced to our players, but I can tell you that they are John G, who is the orange player, Matthew, who is green, Steph, who is purple, Jonathan, who is blue, and John K, who is yellow. Yes, there are three people in this lineup named John. And it's worth saying that the majority of the time, Bob at least just refers to them by colours. Yeah, it, I had to keep referring back to like my notes because I noted down, I was like, okay, well, John G is orange, Matthew is green. And then every now and again, you know, Bob Mills would just go, green player, stand up and like, okay, wait up, scroll back up. Who was green again? Okay, there, yeah, that was Matthew. And if you're sat there and you haven't watched this and you're wondering, but how did he identify the colour they were? Well, he identified them by the colour of their stools. <laughs> if you have yellow stool, you need to see a doctor. Should we talk about Bob Mills as host then? Let's, because when I watched some bits of Games World for the first time, one I saw some of season four, which is a different host, but the bits of the first three series that I saw, I saw Bob Mills and I'm like, he's familiar. And he seems to have a much more snarky persona than I'd say Dominic does, at least at this point in the timeline. Mm. He is not above mocking children. He is punching down. But I couldn't place where I'd seen him from. I couldn't place where I knew him from. Now, there were a couple of places that I knew him from. One is he appeared in a Peter Davison Doctor Who story opposite Martin Clunes called Snake Dance. But to be honest, I didn't watch that story that often because it's not, in my opinion, that great a story. But then it clicked on where I knew him from. Because whenever I was off sick and I was staying at my nan's, weekday mornings, win, lose or draw. Hello and welcome to the quick draw game everyone can play. Win, lose or draw. And here's your host, Bob Mill. That was where I recognised him from as well. He was so much nicer on that show. Yeah, because I was I watched this show this week and I was like, God, he looks familiar. And I saw the comments, you know, all referring to him as Bob Mills. And I was like, must have been a more popular host than I remember. And as soon as I Googled his name and I saw Win, Lose or Draw, and I was like, oh, of course. Yeah, anytime you're off sick from school, you'd watch Win, Lose or Draw. What a great show it was. He also hosted his own stand-up comedy show called In Bed with Medina. And I don't remember this show, but... After I was reminded about it, I do remember the title sequence because I'm also a fan of The Prisoner and the title sequence was a spoof of the opening titles for Patrick McGowan's The Prisoner. But I don't actually remember the show itself and given that sort of time frame, I can understand why. I wouldn't have been staying up that late and I'll be honest, ITV was the last thing I was watching if I was up late. It was Channel 4, baby. <laughs> Channel 4 and BBC2, they had the horror and the filth. going to ask you about bob mills uh, and his involvement in the show was he was he a fan of of games or was he just sort of hired to be uh, we need a presenter for the the eliminator shows he was about as far removed from a game in life as you could possibly imagine he became a really <laughs> good friend of mine um over mm. over the the course of the series and uh, he was just a comedian who had never played a game as far as we could see but <laughs> that was perfect because the, the the original concept was the circus concept so we needed a ringmaster yeah and so when we were looking for people to be the main presenter we looked at quite a few different um characters we looked at uh some really big names as well and he just stood out perfectly because he was great at just getting things moving 
he was really good at being that central pivotal figure of just pointing things in different directions. I would say that Bob Mills on Games World worked so well, it's what brought Dexter into Series 3 of Games Master. Oh, yeah? Because what Jane realised is you didn't need to have a presenter of Games World that knew about video games as long as you surrounded him in people that did know about them, like Tim Boone and and Dave Perry and, and other co-commentators. Um, and that kind of allowed her to think, well, it doesn't matter if Games Master has a presenter that doesn't know an awful lot about video games either. Yeah. She was wrong, as it turned <laughs> out, but that's that's by the by. You know, you know, it worked on Games World, it didn't work on Games Master because it's a different show. It was an entirely mm. different kind of thing. Um, but yeah, Bob Mills was just a comedian. I think even that she just saw a, a, a night out at the um, at Dingwalls in Camden or something, and just thought yeah. he would be good because he just had this presence about him. And what was very also very very impressive with Bob Mills is he took it very seriously. He mm. didn't just turn up um, on the day, present, go home. He would be yeah. the first one on set. And he'd be writing scripts all day, and that's what I loved about Dominic as well on Games Master. Dominic, yeah, I've not even I, even after I left all of that behind and I went off to work for other TV companies and other TV shows, never seen that again. I've never seen such dedication in a presenter, and that's what Dominic and Bob Mills had in common was that they they were both absolutely one hundred percent committed to the show and their art. So we're going to play round one, and here to tell you all about round one is my co-presenter, a man who knows everything that is possibly to know about video games. Please welcome Jeremy Doldry. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> round one this evening is, as always, Cash Cash. From here to eternity, Cash Cash will be the first game every Monday and Friday night. Very simply, five players head to head. The first four players to collect 10 coins go through. The fifth player, that sad, pathetic creature who doesn't make 10 coins, has to do that long, lonely walk out of the ring. Icons will appear, pick them up, improve your chances. What a sad man. Yes. So sad, lonely creatures. Sad, lonely and they've only just got here on television, but one of you is about to go. So this is a question I had for you. Is Cash Dash a real game? No. Well, yes, it is a game. But it appears to be one that was made specifically for this show, or at the very least, a show. I did about as much of a search on this as I felt I could, because the problem is, is there was actually a Spectrum game called Cash Dash at some point in the early 80s. That makes things a little difficult. Also, the words cash and dash are fairly common, so Mm. it's quite difficult to find out anything about it. But what I can tell you is I reckon it was done on an Amiga, a 600 or 1200, because we also know that they can support four to five players. Yep. If not an Amiga, then an Atari ST. That's about as far as I can take that one. Looking at the game, my first thought was Bitmap Brothers. Oh, okay, yeah. It's got a chunkiness to it that, to me, reminds me of Speedball and Chaos Engine and stuff like that. And, in fact, some people agreed. I did find people on forums going, this looks like the Bitmap Brothers. But a few other people seem to think it might be something to do with a company called Silver Rock Productions that made the game and TV show and many games, actually, of Hugo, who's kind of a troll and goes on adventures. Mm. And some people seem to be under the impression that this was a game that was also made for those television shows or to time with those television shows. Neither is true. Oh, okay. um, I, I, at least, is what I remember. 
Um, <laughs> I remember having a meeting with Empire Interactive um, in their offices where we devised a brand new game. And we thought, right, we need this game where you're collecting coins and you uh, all five people are on screen at the same time. They all have to collect coins, but they can punch each other and they have to do certain things. Um, and, uh, and, and I seem to remember, was it Empire? <laughs> Oh, God, my memory of this time is so flaky now. Um, because now I might be confusing that with the game that eventually became um, Wacky Races. But they said, yeah, no worries. And they, they created the game for us. Um, and then later on, I think they then transferred that game into either Wacky Races or something else. But I'm sure we came up with it first because that would, it was custom made just for us because we sat there and said we need something where everybody's playing at once. Either way, it is one of two games that were used on this show that were generally not available to the public. This and a pinball game. Well, it's a very simple concept. It's the first four players to collect 10 coins that will go through. And one of them is about to take a very sad, lonely walk out of the tent as the first person out in Games World history. And that man is the colour orange. That man is, let me go through my notes again, uh, John G, who is orange, who I think doesn't well, we don't know if he collects any coins because he is just last for the entire game. Yeah, it's an interesting design decision is the person that's last has a big logo over their coin count that says last. And therefore, all we see for him throughout the entire challenge is last. But this is also the first real glimpse we get of the set. And I'm going to use that term loosely because it's essentially a black box studio with some set dressing. And at first, I was incredibly underwhelmed by it because I was thinking, this is Sky. They must have had some Murdoch bucks to throw around. But then my brain caught up with me because, you know what? Season 1 Games Master looked pretty good. It had the church. It had the atmosphere. The games rig, amazing look. ITV, big, bright studio for bad influence. But they were once-a-week shows. This set had to be standing and ready to go three days a week, and also, I imagine, relatively easy to collapse down because they might need different sets for the episodes on Tuesday and Thursday, particularly when they got into sitcom filming territory with Big Boy Barry. But Bob encourages the contestants to gather around the console, and it is essentially a wooden box with a CRT in it. (laughs) My note I had about the sort of set and the production of this is that it is creepily silent. Because like Bob and Jeremy introduce the games and Bob then tells the players to, you know, take their stools and put them around the monitors so they can start the game. There's no music to kind of bridge those two gaps together. The crowd aren't making any noise. So it is just this eerie silence as five people pick up some stools and put them in front of the CRT television. So if I could ask you, please, contestants, to take your places at the console. Pick up your joysticks. And this is where it all starts. All your training and everything all comes into play now. Because I must reiterate what he said. We will only have four contestants left at the end of this. Four of them will get 10 points. One of them won't. And they'll have to take the sad, lonely walk back. So if you're quite ready, the game starts when you hear this bell. Now. Okay, off we go, Bob. Like I said, first four to collect ten is through. 
and then they start the game. It's it, it feels like there's something really missing there. I'll be honest, I'm going to be quite forgiving of them on that one for a very simple reason. Games Master shot their entire first season and then they had the time to edit it and put it together. This was the first episode. I'm sure they did some pilots, but there was a lot of this stuff that they were making up as they went along and they couldn't easily go back and do it in the edit a couple of weeks later. Yeah, it's kind of like how Dave Perry was saying about Series 1 of Games Master was very much flying by the seat of their pants. I think that's kind of the case here too. I I think it's my sort of overall feelings of the show, just kind of get them out early doors. I don't think it holds up as well as Games Master. It's not to say I didn't enjoy the episode, but it doesn't hold up quite as well as Games Master because of these sorts, because of the way that it was sort of put together, really. I would agree with you on that one. I enjoyed seeing the challenges in this episode, and I'm going to enjoy talking about them as we as we go on a bit, because the challenges are quite different to the way challenges mm. are presented in Games Master, because there is no race against the computer. It is always a person v. person v. person aspect. Yeah, it's kind of like what we get for Series 3 of Games Master, really, when they do the team championships. But as you said, this first challenge, and poor old John the Orange, doesn't go anywhere. Yellow takes first place, then green, then blue, and then last, Blurple. And he's just left, stranded and alone. Thank you. If I could just ask all the successful competitors to return to your stools, please. There you go. Go back, sit down. And that leaves us with... John, John, come over here. Come over here. I saw you. You strode up there and you were all... All right, they've got more hair than me, but uh, I can play this game. I can play this game. You thought you had years on your side, didn't you? And what happened... Actually, as I say, you walked up this aisle very cocky and self-assured. What I'd like you to do now is walk back. I think you'll find it's a much sadder, longer, lonely walk. Ladies and gentlemen, John! Bob asks all the successful contestants to return to their stools. Diamondism. Whilst Bob talks to John. And the the crux of this is to basically be like, you, sir, have no hair. You have no hair and you're old. Good day, sir. Good day. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't even really interview him. He just roasted him for 30 seconds and then told him to go. The only word that John really gets out is experience. <laughs> and he has to walk up the aisle through some dry ice while sad circus music plays. <laughs> Luke, is there anything worse than having to walk through dry ice while sad circus music plays? Because, dear Lord, I'm going to be having nightmares about that concept now. Uh, But we've got no time to really worry about what might happen in those nightmares because it's time for the second round. What are we playing, Jeremy? Round two, Bob, is Super Swim on the Super Nintendo, a classic shoot-em-up of near-biblical proportions. Our contestants simply have to have 30 seconds to collect as many points as possible. Blast everything. Unfortunately, though, if they die, they're out. They're dead. They're gone. It's a shoot 'em up of near biblical proportions as we play Super Swift on the SNES, which got reviewed earlier in Series 2 of Games Master. Collect as many points as possible, and if you die, you're out and you're gone. But they then do clarify, because John K's up first and he does get killed, they clarify that he's not out of the tournament. He's not out-out. He's just out of the game that he was playing. He didn't get a second life. No, it's one life, one go. Yeah, which is a much easier way of explaining what they were trying to but they were like he's, he's out but he's not he's not out of the running he's just, he's just out he's out now but his his what he's just he's not out out so he, he was killed then he, he was, was killed, killed off then in a flame of glory and how many did he get 1800 altogether so right, he got 1800 before he was killed all right so don't you're still it's not a question of you being out if somebody does 
worse than that, then you, you might be all right. But yeah, he doesn't do very well. In fact, he is the only competitor that doesn't go the full 30 seconds. He basically flies into a wave of enemies and dies with a score of 1,800 points. Which is really unfortunate as well, because he's about to get to the tank, which is where you get like 2,000 points. So really, all the other three have got to do is just get to that tank and kill it. And they have, they're going to beat his score. I mean, up next is the purple contestant, or Steph, as I believe the given name is. And she has no problem surpassing John. She survives the entire 30 seconds, despite a near-death moment. There is a moment when Jeremy and Bob think she is gone, but no, she's just on fire a bit. But she lasts out the 30 seconds, 3,000 200 points. Yeah, she did way better than poor John Kay. Up next is the blue contestant, aka Jonathan. He surpasses John, he surpasses Steph, he lasts the full 30 seconds, and he ends with 3,725 points. Yeah, he was pretty good at this. He got to that 1,400 mark very, very quickly. There was something odd about this, and I don't know if it's the very ropey video quality of the version out there, but I thought a lot of these guys got past the 1,800 mark before they did. But what I was actually seeing was 800 with some ghosting. And the ghosting (laughs) looked like a one. But up last, we've got Green, otherwise known as Matthew, who is wearing an amazing Simpsons shirt. Yeah, it's quality, isn't it? It's a good job Sky have the license for the Simpsons. Otherwise, he'd have been wearing that inside out or backwards. But he's got 30 seconds and all he needs to do is get past 1800 points. And for a bit, it doesn't look like he's going to make it. But then he gets that tank. He gets that tank and boom, he leaps straight up to 3,325 points. He shoots one more pod for a total of 3,575 points, which means Jonathan led with 3,725. Matthew followed up with 3,575. Steph still got a very respectable 3,200. And John Kay got 1,800. Oh, poor John Kay. And was the only contestant to not survive the 30 seconds yeah i've got to give it to matthew as well because jeremy and bob are there being like you know what all he's got to do is survive if he just survives he's likely going to get through and beat that 1800 score but he really goes for it he he's out to get first place doesn't quite get it but he is out to win this so i've got a lot of respect for that kids a trooper thank you john please come and join me all right come and come and stand come and stand. you had a good time you hang on a second uh-huh yeah yeah trains back to nottingham Fine, there's a train going back to workshop, even as we speak. And you, unfortunately, are going to have to be on it. But you weren't last, were you? And you had a nice, you enjoyed yourself? Go home, practice, come back next series. Everybody, please. John, thank you. But Bob doesn't appear to have any sort of respect for John Kay, though, as he calls it a rather pitiful uh, attempt. And then asks, did you have a good, oh, wait, no, no, I've got a voice in my ear, or is it a finger? Oh, wait, no, there's a train back to Nottingham, and it's departing now, so you best take that lonely walk and bugger off back to workshop. Yeah, again, it's less of an interview, more of a roasting. Like, John, poor old John Kay just gets to grunt a little bit and then has to leave. Although we are still in the era of people not being used to cameras, and even though those that oh, yeah. get microphone time don't make the best use of it. Yeah, spoilers for the show. Our winner of this tournament is not camera ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the way it works. We started with five and now we're down to three. And by the end of the show, there'll be just one champion left. Join us after this break. Tonight on Sky. At six, there's an hour of crazy antics from Sky One Simpsons, including a brand new episode. Woo-hoo! 
Navy SEALs are paid to take risks. Exclusive action at 8. Navy SEALs premieres on the movie channel. At 8 on Sky One. You'll never be free of me as long as you live! Joan Collins stars in Sins. Live on Sky Sports at 9, coverage from the fourth day of the Honda Golf Classic. Tonight on Sky. Mum, I'm really not hungry. Come on, Becky. It's chicken curry. Bird's Eye Menu Master. The tastiest ingredients freshly frozen. Thank you. Just as Bird's Eye know how. Oh dear, he dumped you then. Bird's Eye Menu Master. <laughs> Nothing else tastes quite like home. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It was to be her first tour since the breakup of her marriage. Without her husband by her side, much was at stake for the Princess of Wales. Both British royal watchers here and the Nepalese are describing this tour as an outstanding success. Join Simon McCoy in Nepal with Diana, a princess on top of the world. Have you enjoyed the trip, ma'am? Yes, I have. Thank you very much. Sunday evening at 6.30 on Sky News. Welcome back to Monday's Eliminator. We're down to three competitors, and we're trying to find one champion to go forward to Friday to play Beat the Elite. If the contestants are ready, let's crack on and play round three. So, Jeremy, if you'd like to talk us through game three, please. Game three tonight, Bob, the penultimate game is Pilot Wings on the Super Nintendo. Very simply, each contestant will be doing the skydiving off level one, looking for a score of around 100 points. The best advice we can really give them, of course, is to open the chute as late as possible, but not too late, because then they become sort of flat and very, very dead. <laughs> Coming out of the ad break, it's round three, and we're playing one of Ash's favorite games. It's only bloody Pilot Wings, and it's the skydiving challenge. It's the skydiving challenge. This is one of the simpler challenges. I had to sit on my hands for this challenge, Luke. I was, I've got written in my notes here. I cannot wait to hear what Ash has to say about these three challenges because well, we've had Pilot Wings twice in this series of Games Master so far. We had the brother and sister combo player earlier in the series, and then we had it as part of the Patterson challenge. And I would say that the two kids that played it 
and the Patterson Challenge, even though Patterson himself wasn't particularly, he wasn't the greatest player, those three were really, really good at this game and knew how to play it. I'd say that Steph is the only one that really sort of knows the ins and outs of the game. But even then, no one gets through the rings. No, I mean, Steph is up first and there are now few enough players where Bob can remember some of the names and is choosing to use them. The bell rings, and it's worth mentioning, this is a very interesting mechanism of starting the games, is to have a little bell. And it will start as soon as you hear this bell. Are you ready? The game starts now. I guess they're going for the boxing fight night feel, but it looks more like a school bell. Yeah. I mean, I'm familiar with ring bells. You're familiar with ring bells. Taint a ring bell. (laughs) But she goes to the height, she commences a skydive, and she misses the first ring. Yep. And the second. Mm -hmm. And the third. But... I will give her this. She listens to Jeremy Doldry when he first started this saying, you want to let go of your shoot at about the 700 mark. You don't want to do it too early. You don't want to do it too late. 700 is about the right mark. And almost bang on the banana at 700, she opens up her shoot and she just guides herself down very, very gently. And she lands safely for a nice tidy score of 60 points. Next up is the blue contestant. Oh, wait, we've lost, we've lost names again. But Jonathan... <laughs> Does hit the first ring. Yeah. And misses the second. Oh, yeah. And the third. F*** those rings. And he releases his shoot way later than Steph did. About the 300 mark. I mean, your terminal velocity by that point, I was watching this through kind of closed eyes because I'm thinking, no, this is not going to end well. Fair credit to him. He doesn't land in a great score zone. He gets in like the 20 point score zone, but he actually lands rather than leaving a hole in the ground, which is what happens if you hit the ground too fast, like at really dangerous levels of speed. I was fully expecting that. At at one point, Jeremy thinks that he's aiming for the special platform, the one that's moving. Only crazy people go for that platform. Do you not go for that platform? I've done it a couple of times and I've landed it a couple of times. But if you told me you're going to go on television and play this game in a competition, I would just be aiming for the inner circle, like the inner three or four brackets. And do you know what else I'd be doing? I'd be landing those goddamn rings. You just have to stay (laughs) still for two of them. I know, right? Jeremy keeps saying it. Just stay still. Yep. These buggers would not stand a chance against a T-Rex. And Matthew... Our third and final contestant here once again ignores Jeremy. Jeremy's like, you should be fine to beat 35 points. Just get through the rings. Misses all three of them. But thankfully, somehow manages to pull it back on the landing and gets a total of 50 points. It was squeaky bum time. And while he doesn't top the leaderboard, he manages to stay off the bottom. Because he, again, leaves the shoot opening quite late. Only going by, you know, Jeremy's advice. It's about the 400 mark that he opens it up, which leads to some really good commentary from Jeremy and Bob just talking about how he's not going to make this. He's definitely going to overshoot this target. He's not going to make it. And then it's very, very tense, just swings around at the end to get a good landing and score those 50 points. Really, really good stuff, that. So the final scores, Steph at 60, Matthew 50, and last place, Jonathan with 35. Jonathan, please come and join me up here. You did so well. There you go. That was all right. Now, to get through to the second half, it's very, very good going. And you've enjoyed yourself. You had a great time. Yeah, thanks. And you blew it quite badly, really, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. You blew it quite badly. 
London in the 20 zone is never going to get you through the round, is it? No. But it's lovely to have you here. Thanks very much. Take the long, lonely walk. We actually get a bit more of an interview this time round with Bob saying, you know, you did well to get into the second half of the show, but you blew it quite badly there. And Jonathan gives some very monosyllabic answers as he takes the lonely walk out of the tent. Yeah, Bob's parting line is landing in the 20 zone is never going to get you through, is it? Can you, Adam and Eve? We're at the final round already. We're rattling through this. So what are we playing, Jeremy? Bob, the very first head-to-head is Sonic the Hedgehog 2. It's the bonus ring collecting stage when they simply have to dash along and collect as many rings as possible while avoiding the mines. Not to worry, that it's a best of three, so if you miss out on the first game, you can make it up. But obviously, two wins in a row, and you're the winner overall. That's it. It's a game we're going to be seeing very soon on Games Master as part of the Sonic 2 Challenge. It's the special bonus stage on Sonic 2 where you've got to collect the most rings, best of three rounds. And you said that we're rattling through this. I felt like I'd had half a dozen dip-dabs. It was that level of sugar rush. This is a competition show like Games Master, but with the pace of bad influence. That Yes, that's such a good way to put it. I, I wrote in my notes at the end of here, if I was a kid watching this show, I would absolutely love it because you get to see so many games in such a short space of time and i realize it's moving at such a pace we haven't actually mentioned that with each round there is a ring girl that gets up and walks around holding a card with the round number on it because why not okay so they're going for the fight night boxing feel but they're in a circus tent and there's also a haunted house that's used for reviews and there's clearly a bdsm dungeon by what jet wears when she appears in the show (laughs) i'm very confused luke it's games world that, that's just it. It's Games World. <laughs> so now we come to it. Now we come to the head-to-head. This is what Games Brand is really all about. Two people pitted against each other. Can I ask, please, Steph and Matthew to just come and join me here? Thank you. Just come here and come here. Well, did you expect to get this far? Not at all. You didn't. You yeah. haven't been confident all the time, but no. you've done it. I'm well done. And I knew, this is the man that I knew would get this far because it's the small ones, the ones who look like, yes. You ha- you happy to be here? Yeah. Yeah? And how do you think you're going to do now in this round against Steph? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but I'll see. What we do do here, and I think it's worth starting off a bit of a tradition, is perhaps if you'd like to shake hands and wish each other best of luck. Good luck. Oh, they really mean it, don't they? Yeah, good luck. No, I really hope you win. Ha, ha, ha. Not. Well, Bob interviews both of them before the game. Steph didn't expect to get this far, but Bob knew. Once he saw Matthew walk into this room, he knew that he was going to make it all the way through to the final. And they start a lovely little tradition of shaking hands and wishing each other good luck. Which Bob then mocks mercilessly (laughs) by going, oh, yeah, really convincing. Yeah, no, I hope you win. Yeah, no, I hope you win. So, Ash, would you take a bet with me that Steph had never played this game before? Or at the very least, had not played it a lot. I take a bet she wasn't even looking at the screen. <laughs> you would have to assume that they had played this in the green room, that there had been, as Bob pointed out at the beginning of the show, training. Mm-hmm. But there is a key mechanic in this which you use when you're playing two-player, which is jump. You don't just jump to avoid to avoid bombs. You jump to get over the other player and get to the rings first. And it isn't until the second race that she actually makes use of this. Yeah, so she is just... Because she's playing his tails, and she is just running behind him this entire time. She is all over the show. Pretty much the most rings she gets in the first race is four. And she loses yes. those because she runs into bombs. And when they cross the line, it is 72 rings to zero. Yeah, that moment when she has four rings and then loses them, 
Matthew has got 66 rings at that point. So there was absolutely no way in hell she was coming back from that. And like the Jeremy and Bob on commentary had been like, well, Sonic's got this one. We, again, they don't refer to them by their real names, just by the characters that they're playing. They're like, well, Sonic's won this one. Absolutely no way. She could. Yep, Sonic's winning. Nope, Tails is definitely not winning this one. Even if Matthew had run into one of the bombs, he'd have probably still got enough to win off the pickup. Yeah. It's funny as well because Games Master Live 92, Sonic 2 was one of the challenges that they did there. And we interviewed one of them back when we did that episode who said that he played a chap who had never played Sonic 2 before and therefore didn't know about the jumping mechanic. And when he, when he won quite convincingly, they basically made them play the game again, but this time told the guy, you do know that you can jump over him, right? So it's, it seems a bit of a shame that Steph wasn't sort of clued in at the start. Well, maybe she was and she just didn't remember. Or just froze because the second race, which is a much shorter race and with a lower score, but that ends 29 to zero as well. Steph, come and stand here. Matthew, you stand here. Now, Steph, there's two ways I can do this. I can either say, hey, congratulations, because you got this far, you beat three of the other competitors. Or I can tell the truth, which is to say that in one of the classic video games, that any journeyman player prides himself on being able to do well, you were ground into the dirt, basically. You were absolutely appalled in that game. What happened? I just bombed out. You did bomb out. And once you start to lose it, it just goes, doesn't it? Yep, afraid so. But going back to the first team, you have done very well. You've beaten through us. You've come second, which is a great honour in itself. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Steph. Thank you. And coming out of it, Bob says there's two ways he can do this. He can either go, hey, congratulations, you got this, you beat three of the other contestants. Or he can say the truth, which is that one of the classic video games that any journeyman player prides himself on being able to do well, you were ground into the dirt on. Yeah. You were appalling in that game. What happened? She bombed out. Yeah, she bombed out, literally and figuratively. But man, he really isn't pulling any punches. Kids got trauma off this show. <laughs> and according to some forum comments I saw, this is him dialed down. He gets worse in later series. About that, stand there, turn around, face these people. These are the people that want to see me. You are the champion. Well done? Yeah. You feel good? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You excited? Yeah. Yeah? Because I'll tell you what you've won. You've won two things. Firstly, you've won the right to wear our Eliminator Champions jacket, which is about to be brought up to you. Here we go. Here's the jacket. There you go. Oh, he's going to full money. He's going to put it on and everything. There you go. Thank you, Sarah. But most importantly, you've won the right to come back on here on Friday and play Beat the Elite, when you can be taking on the meanest, toughest, baddest bunch of games players in the world, our very own videators. They're very, very good. Do you feel confident about that? Yeah. You think you can have them, don't you? Yeah. Yeah? Well, we'll see on Friday. Which means it's time to speak to very, very shy winner, Matthew. Matthew, who has performed consistently through these challenges, if not always excellent, certainly great. In the Sonic challenge, regardless of who he was playing against, he got a respectable score. He didn't hit any minds. No, and dealt well with being under the scrutiny of an audience and camera crews and all the other noise and mess going on in this, to be honest, fairly small and crowded studio. So I am well pleased that he won. I, I did think he was a bit of an underdog going in because he was clearly the youngest of the challengers. Yeah. Yeah is a common word in this one. I was going to say because the interview very much goes with Bob being like, hey, did you have a good time here today? Yeah. Are you really pleased that you won? Yeah. Are you excited about playing again on Friday? 
Yeah. It's very, you know, it, it's it's heartwarming and it's it's very like, oh, look at him, bless that little child. It is very sweet. It is. He hopefully has a bit of a heart on this one and doesn't mock the kid too much for being uncomfortable. But apparently yeah. he did lose patience with some of the videators. Mm. I was reading an interview with Alex Berry and because a lot of the videators were gamers first and either performers second or not performers at all, when some of them flubbed lines, he got quite pissed off with them. Crikey, he doesn't want to do a podcast with us then. It's all fixed in the edit. The edit was smooth <laughs> like butter. Which brings us to the end of the episode. Ash, what did you make of it? When I first watched this, I was kind of negative on it. And I got a little less negative with each rewatch. Because Games Master was my teenage years. It was my show. This was not. I have no nostalgia. I have no rose-tinted glasses for it. Therefore, I'm not going to be as forgiving on it. However, I will say that what they started doing there was incredibly brave because while some would see it, and indeed for a long time I would think of it as a Games Master ripoff, it was doing something different. It was trying to create a magazine format show, but more in the style of the daily magazine shows. So your TVAMs, your big breakfast, it was creating something that would be there every day and every day would be something a bit different. With that concept in mind, I thought this was a fairly strong start. None of the challenges dragged. And sadly, if anything, I'd say the weak challenge was the last one. Because by the end of the first race on Sonic, you had a strong inkling that Steph was not going to come back from it. Every other competition had an element of, oh, this could be a bit close. Maybe not the Cash Dash one, but certainly uh, Super Swift and Pilot Wings. I'll give Cash Dash a pass because we don't know how low his score was because it just said last. Last, <laughs> yeah. But I did think while incredibly 90s and the set was a lot smaller, it was well lit, everything was well framed. I don't know that I would have chosen Bob Mills to present this, but I thought Jeremy was great on commentary. I did actually like the Fight Night aesthetic. They were there in their bow ties and their suits and they had those classic old school broadcast microphones that kind of looked like razors on sticks that you yeah. really have to force up to your mouth. I was absolutely fine with this. I don't, I can't honestly say what I'd have made of it in 92, 93. But now I was entertained for 20 minutes. Yeah, I mean, this is really my first exposure to Games World. And when it ended, I did go and check out some of the other stuff. I checked out what a review episode looked like. I checked out what the tips episode looked like, you know, and the, with the videos and everything. And I did very much enjoy the, the sort of presentation over it. Like, I do think that there's some sort of production quibbles, but it's the first episode of a show. Like, you're not expecting anything to be perfect right out the gate. I really enjoyed the Super Swift Challenge, loved the Pilot Wings Challenge. The Sonic one, unfortunately, sort of fell at the starting blocks because Steph didn't really know how to play the game that well. But watching it, the thing that struck me most is that this is very much the blueprint of what Games Master is going to become in Series 3. Not just the team challenge stuff, but even in the first half of the series, when you would have a group of kids who will play a game some of them will get eliminated and they will then play the second game at the end of the show and you kind of have to wonder because obviously there would be shared offices with Hewland and there would be shared production staff how much trading of ideas was there they looked at this blueprint and thought what this needs is a really loud cockney accent mate everything needs a really loud <laughs> cockney accent now that was the first episode so that was right at the beginning of season one and it went seasons one two three 
then had a gap and when it came back in season four most of the videators were gone bob mills was gone there was a new host there was an aztec setting there was a kind of a new structure to the show and on that show was a former guest of the podcast guru larry and so we thought we'd speak to him again and see what he had to say about his games world experience Thank you for having me. Yeah, right near the end, I managed to get my foot in the door. Finally, they, they ran out of contestants and they said, oh, come on, let, let him have a go then. He's only been applying every single time. How, how many times did you apply for Games World over its duration? Uh, three times for the second series and the third series. And the third one was obviously successful. What was the process of applying like? Was it similar to Games Master or did they do things slightly differently? Uh, it was borderline exactly the same, to be honest. The only thing it was, it's by that time, uh, Hewland had got it into a sort of a, a rhythm. When I went on to the second series of Games Master, they just invited people to their office in uh, the Isle of Dogs. Uh, but this time they was renting out uh, stu- uh, places and that. I th- one of them was a library in Islington uh, for one of the auditions. I think that was a third series. I can't remember what the other one was. It was it was some it was similar as well. It was another library, I believe. The uh, the final one was near that place, uh, the uh, the Sarsons factory where they make all the vinegar. It was because uh, they seem to have an owner or rent a building there because they filmed the first got a series of Games World there. The last series of Games World was filmed in the same place as Series Seven of Games Master. Ah, okay. Yeah, it, it like, literally they pushed away the, the set of games world master and just built the one on top of it so half the half the sand was still there so so that's efficient production yeah. costs that's definitely efficient production costs so yeah so that's why they're both uh, both film sets are probably quite similar as well one of them's desert island the other one's <laughs> aztec temples they still got the same sort of hot secluded desert place i did look at the aztec temple set and go did they also nick this from the crystal maze because yeah. that was <laughs> a standing that. set at the time i asked that as well yeah yeah, no, I think I think it's just coincidence. Now it's all made out of uh, polystyrene now because I managed to kick a hole in the set at one point when I was doing the karate thing. So, so you applied and you got on. Uh, what was the audition process like? What what did you go through once your initial application has been accepted? Well, first of all, you write a letter and hello, blah blah blah. blah I want to go on and that. And they, I think you fill in a questionnaire and that for them to uh, go, you know, redate to you on the audition. Uh, the audition itself, it was what playing a couple of games. Uh, I played Turtles Tournament Fighter and Tekken 3. I can't remember the third one. Might have been FIFA. They play a couple of games a year, that's see if you're any good at it. And then you do a on-camera piece of sort of basically smack talking. You know, I'm, I'm the best at playing games and that you challenge me, you're going to go down. Grrr. Stuff like that. So, yeah, so by that time, I sort of managed to get it down that they don't watch somebody says, I'm good at playing games. Uh, my mum plays games with me and stuff like that. So, yeah, I've sort of played it up a little bit. People just don't want a bloody talking breeze block on camera, really. People who clam up on camera are just absolute death. I mean, I had that problem when I was on X League as well. We've just reviewed the first episode uh, in this podcast. And the one thing I would say about the, the contestants they had on that first episode is getting an interview out of them was... It was blood from stone, which is yeah. why I think Bob Mills was just punching down on everyone that was there. Oh, he's trying, he's trying to rile him up. He's professional, he is. So, yeah, he was definitely trying to sort of big him up and that to try and get some energy out of them. But it's, you know, sometimes you, you're on a losing battle sometimes. 
you said like uh, the Tales Tournament Fighter and FIFA. Was that the, the first audition that you did, or the? Uh, no, that was. I think that was the third one, the one I was successful on. Uh, the other ones were the Wembley one, uh, the Islington Library one, because I went to the wrong library in Islington first. I always remember that. So we had to go to our own London trying to find this other library. What I mean, why is Islington got? Why is Islington got two libraries? I don't know, but yeah, but. So, uh so yeah we went to this one uh it was a woman filling in a questionnaire and then you play a couple of games and the woman was you know uh one of the questions i remember was who's your favorite videator i said big boy barry and the other question was what do you want to do for a living when you grow up and i said being a games designer which is probably the most cliched answer everybody gave there i want to play games when i grow up never did then again, I can't really say, oh, I'll make YouTube videos for, for a living. You know, that's what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. I, I plan to work for an online platform that doesn't exist yet. Oh, if, I, if I'd have went for that, I'd probably got the audition. So, not ironically, yeah. <laughs> It'd have probably gone, this kid wants to post videos on the internet? He's clearly bonkers. we got to get him on. He's <laughs> like, that will never happen. Television, is gonna, yeah, television will rule the roost for all time. Nothing will ever threaten it. <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, you did the audition process. When did you find out that you uh, were going to be on the show? Was that like on the day or was it uh, a no, little it while a day, later? It was a, couple of, a couple of weeks and they send you a letter, you know, congratulations, you've passed and that, and they give you an address of where you need to go. So you got the letter through and successful, yeah. ta-da, they give you the address. How was it when you arrived on the day and how was the filming structured? When we turned up for the day, one of the uh, five contestants didn't turn up. They never bothered coming. So uh, one of the older people who went there that day they got his mate come along for the day and they got him to be the contestant as well uh i remember they filmed three episodes in the morning uh, and then two episodes in the afternoon so they've done one week a day wow yes so it's one week a day uh they used to ship in a uh, a school each for the morning in the afternoon as well to sit in the audience and they just got really <laughs> leery all the time and because <laughs> being in the audience for a game show is the most boring thing you can actually ever do in your life oh yeah second only to being a contestant on one really. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they filmed all the uh the death scenes you know they take you up to the pit and throw you in somebody in the early series had been got in a strop and refused to do it when they lost so they always film it beforehand so they can't any you know they got some ingenuity if they run off with that <laughs> that's smart thinking yes we get to practice beforehand they always let you play the game you were playing luckily i own most of them as well so <laughs> so that's a bit of like and i had an import copy of gran turismo that's why i completely wiped the floor with them on that episode because <laughs> it, it was because i was into import gaming back then and it was also my favorite track and my favorite car they were doing it on so it, it was just the luck the gods fell in my favor that day <laughs> and and also i just cheese the hell out of that that poor kid playing soul blade soul edge soul blade so it worked out really well for you then yes I see. it was just luck it was just luck after luck really so you got to rehearse, you got to try the games, yeah. uh, many of the games that you'd already played already because imports, imports are great. Yeah. I would say it's an unfair advantage, but it's not because well, it, it any was, of the others could have done any, it. Any of the others could have done it. It's just total luck, really, more than anything. I, I didn't know what the games they were playing. I had sort of a, a guess, an educated guess what they might be. And I was watching previous episodes as well. And they played them on that as well, so that was a bit of luck. So they always they always played Gran Turismo on the racing day for some reason. So you recorded the first batch of three episodes in the morning, yes. And obviously, you had a distinct advantage on some challenges. Was there a point where you realised that you might actually just 
kind of stroll through this a little bit. Well, I didn't want to. I didn't want to boast anything. I hate people who boast because they always sort of come a cropper after a while, don't they? <laughs> so pride comes before a fall. So that, I never sort of played it up that I was better than everyone, but I had an inkling that I stood a strong chance. Uh, actually, to the final, uh, when it was down to two people in the sports day, it was me and a girl called Sean. Uh, I still speak to her now, actually. She's on uh, hmm. Facebook. I speak to her quite a bit. They took me aside and said, can you get the, let the girl win? And I said, no, I'm not going <laughs> to let her win. Because I was, I was insulted more than anything because I spent four years trying to audition to be on the bloody show. <laughs> I can get this far. And if they said, oh, you know, we'll give you some free stuff and that, I might have thrown it in that. But yeah, they wanted the girl to win. So I was a bit offended about that. It also wouldn't have been doing her any favours because to throw a video game convincingly is pretty difficult. I know from years of having younger siblings where, you know, occasionally you need to let them win, yeah. otherwise they won't play multiplayer games anymore. And they can tell. Well, uh, I remember uh, uh, I read an interview with Big Boy Barry recently and he was told to throw a game in NBA Jam when he was a videator on there. And he, he was so blatant about it, he just stood still for the second half of the match and did nothing. <laughs> and, and the worst thing is nobody picked up on it. But if you look back at it, you can see him just not moving. At all. So yeah, he threw the match by just not playing. Uh, if you, I don't know if you know this. Uh, I was playing against Martin Mathers on 1080 snowboarding, and if you look at the cutscenes, uh, he changes his controller color uh, between shots, and that's because he got into a shot because I sort of hands down beat him straight away, and he's just you now all my controller doesn't work. Funny, <laughs> brought up just about when I was about to finish the rap. So. <laughs> so yeah, it sounded a bit suspicious there. So he made him redo it and that, and I lost annoyingly. Because, yeah, you see the controller change. It's like from yeah. red and blue to red and green or something like yeah. that. And so it wasn't just me being salty or anything about it. At least I got evidence that they'd done that. So. <laughs> That's the best thing about Nintendo 64. There's always different colours. At least go for a grey one or something. But <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, they are an entertainment company first and that. So they need to sort of make something exciting to watch. There's nothing more boring than just watching somebody have the floor wiped with them in a game. I think we've said it on an episode before is that Games Master and indeed Games World is ne- it's never presented as reality. No. Not like going, this is real life. It's this is an entertainment show. Yeah. yeah if, you, if you read between the lines of what people say sometimes, you know, you can sort of figure out the truth of what's happened. Yeah. But I do know a lot of, st- a lot of stuff was fixed as well. Uh, a lot of angry parents as well. I know somebody on Games World. Uh, basically they burst into tears that they lost and their parents were so obsessed in that they actually petitioned outside their offices to redo the <laughs> shoot, even though it was like three months ago. You know, it's, it's finished. We can't do it anymore. But yeah, they started protesting that. Oh, their son wow. Robbed. Well, you do get the overprotective parents and stuff like yeah. that. When I was on Head to Head, we'd done like a Champions of Champions of all the people who won a mountain bike come back for one final round. I got to the grand final and the guy who beat me, he lost in the first round of Games World. Yeah, most of the time, these these challenges are just beaten by the person who knew how to play the game more. It wasn't any actual skill. And that's why the videators were so good at it because I used to let, let them take the game home and play it and stuff. And also a lot of them were hardcore players as well, like Electric Eddie. He was super hardcore. So he was he had all the games already. You're still you're still in touch with him, I believe, aren't you? Yes, yes. Uh, Rob Nathan, yeah, he's a lovely bloke. So you went through the three episodes, then the fourth episode, and then the fifth episode was the challenge with the videators, where, as you yeah. said, you kind of got screwed over on the 1080 challenge. Well, I got screwed over both things. The guy I played on Street Fighter was uh, the national champion, so, <laughs> and I'd only played it like twice. So I, the only way I could do it was to cheese it with M. Bison to do the, his thing, So because I, I couldn't. I was terrible at doing fireballs and that with Ryu and stuff like that. I stood, I stood no chance, but yeah, a guy called Metro. He was like the national champion of Street Fighter in the 90s. 
They also got really upset when I refused to shake his hand on camera as well. Banter, mate, you know. Apparently you got really upset about that. So you got through the week. You didn't yes. make it to the grand final purely based on points. You got knocked off the bottom of the, the league. I lost by 10 points by a guy who had a Special Forces episode, the last recording of the series, and a policeman just won by points by just being more conservative than I was, and he won by 10 points. So if he wasn't so conservative with points in that, I would have uh, got him in th- into the fifth position. Mm. I don't know. What, I don't know what the grand prize was because I normally give. They used to give away an arcade machine or something on Games World. I remember somebody won a Prom or Age arcade machine. Wow! Because for some reason they were allowed to give away big prizes on the Sky version. Uh, Channel Four had to, there's some sort of terrestrial TV laws that the prizes have to be a certain value. So that's why they gave away golden joysticks instead of proper prizes so sadly you didn't make it into the top five for the grand final but behind the scenes during the day you said there was rowdy kids and that of course as with most quiz shows and game shows it stops and starts but what was the atmosphere like how was the production crew how were the presenters apart from those that lost their rag when you wouldn't shake their hands how were the videators uh, we couldn't we didn't get to speak to them we didn't get to speak to them uh they come in late in the afternoon for that final episode so they weren't around at all in the day uh and they wouldn't tell anyone who the videators were because they only get two in each day and that. And they had that Metro and Martin Mothers. I, was, I remember being disappointed that uh, Big Boy Barry wasn't the, uh, the interviewer, the pundit that day. They had Dave Perry on. Two conversations I remember with him. He told me that uh, Billy Kane from Fight, Fatal Fury is based on him. He always insisted that. Well, he's a London bloke with a bandana. He was also talking about, because uh, Super Mario All-Stars had been out a while, and he heard, said there was, there was rumours that there was a Zelda All-Stars coming out. And I was thinking, well, how can you do that? There's only two Zelda games out at that time, really. So, well, there was Zelda 3, but they wouldn't stick that on a cartridge already. He also told me about that, that anecdote I actually used in Fact Hunt years later, because the, uh, the fighting game we practice on, but I don't think I played, was that Versus game, VS which is a pain in the ass to Google search. Because <laughs> a game called VS is the most ge- generic. Sorry, oh, yeah. your surname as well. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, he, he told me that the, the girl in the game is based on the CEOs of THQ's daughter. So that was a fact I used in one of my fact on videos. And nobody knew that. One of the things I remember from that day, because they had wood chips on the floor, uh, in between every take, uh, some guy come along with a spray can and had to spray it all because all the dust kept coming up. <laughs> I just remember that. Also, keeping it damp. Mm. Yeah, keeping it damp because uh, all the dust would come up and that because I used to spray it between every single take and that. The whole place smelled like a garden centre. And also, uh, I remember uh, that whack-a-mole game you have to play. They had it set up for right-handed players and I'm left-handed and it felt really weird to have to play it. And it it literally was... Just a normal track ball they they made, and they put a bit of polystyrene on it to make it look like a a rock. You mentioned earlier that when you were doing your kung fu posing, which is very dramatic and wonderful, and your kind of various poses and muscle poses, and I think at one point you are just described as being insane. <laughs> yeah, I was I was having a laugh really. Yeah, but what was the reaction when you punched a hole in the scenery? Well, I don't think they noticed. I only looked. <laughs> I only noticed myself because there's a big white chunk in the wall there. <laughs> you know, it felt like something out of a you know a superhero film when they punched a wall and there's a big hole in it. And <laughs> so, I was, luckily, I don't I think it was just off camera enough that you couldn't see it properly. Was there any sense of awareness that you could pick up on that this might be it, that this was the end, or was did there seem to be an assumption that they'd be coming back? I think they did were thinking of doing another series. I mean, there was no consensus of another series coming up. I mean, they didn't talk about it to me. 
and I think I was just before the end. I remember that, that advert posters up everywhere for the rap party. I always remember that. Mm. Uh, also, Rick Henderson, I remember him telling me that the show was supposed to be called New Games World. Oh, with the, the, seri- the like series four onwards? Or yeah, series like, four yeah. onwards are going to be called New Games. Because they, they did change the format quite a bit, didn't they? It yeah. was a daily... Yeah, and also um, I think from the Heaven episode of the series of Games Master, that was supposed to be called New Games Master. They sort of carried that a little bit, didn't they, in the intro? They did, yeah. New Games Master, yeah. But I don't think thematically it really works, to be honest. It's just another series. And I was going to say, I think like, the production team will probably think, like, this is a new version of the show, but we viewers are just like, no, it's the same show. Yeah, it's the same <laughs> show, it's just slightly altered. So in this episode, we've covered the beginning and now the endings of games world while a lot of people did view it as being a games master knockoff it definitely established its own identity over its time and presented a different format particularly by going out daily unfortunately Mm. this is also why it's so difficult to find episodes of it now because really who has enough vhs tapes to record one show five times a week over a period of months oh it's 26 weeks 26 weeks of five episodes each day yeah and stuff like that. And there's things like things that nobody would want to record like Games Master Live and stuff. Nobody wants to watch some of the other kids trying to play a game on a phone. <laughs> it's like a five-second lag as well, so they had no chance of playing. Trying to play Street Fighter on a phone with a five-second delay. <laughs> it just, just give up. People thought that trying to play Street Fighter 2, the Commodore 64 version, was bad. They didn't know how <laughs> good they had it. <laughs> no. But, Larry, as someone that watched Games World and appeared on Games World, particularly towards the end, yeah. What do you think its lasting impact or your lasting memories of it was as a form of entertainment? I think the videators are a fantastic idea. That They were sort of these semi-pro gamers that even though it was a complete knockoff of the gladiators, but I think that was a great character thing. I wanted to bring that back for um, X-League as well. They wanted to uh, make the contestants the stars of the show. Uh, and then they sort of manage them and stuff like that and promote them and stuff like that and make them the stars. But when they got them on, they they had all, they were awkward. They wouldn't give like one word answers and that would just look at their shoes all the time and that when they gave interviews. So they gave up on that. So they went on to making the presenters the stars as well. And I wanted to, and before that, I wanted to come on as a stooge basically and just go around <laughs> talking to everyone on there, just be a villain. There's so much fun being a villain in these things. I wanted to be a baddie, bad videator. <laughs> Apparently, Big Boy Barry uh, told me they were thinking of doing an evil version of Big Boy Barry, and they were considering me. They were thinking Big Big Boy Benny or something at one point. But yeah, they wanted to do that. So I don't know if that was planned for a fifth series. Because mm. yeah, like I said, yeah, they, he, he said they, they might have been considering me because I was nuts that day. <laughs> Is Games World as a format something you think could come back today? I think so. Uh, maybe a live stream version and stuff like that, that people come on. I think that would work. But yeah, I think as a format for entertainment, I think Games World would work better than Games Master. Uh, especially yeah. the latest series of Games Master was basically Dominic Diamond getting his mates on camera. Oh, yeah. That's the whole of when Games Attack was, basically. No, I think you're right as well, like because it's kind of the elimination thing and, you know, it's, you could do it as a daily thing, especially if you are, like, streaming it on Twitch or something like that. Like, the, the, elimination, the elimination format works so much better than just, like, here is a standard two-minute challenge. Yeah. So, Larry, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for helping oh, us close for off this chapter on Games World. We may revisit it again. It honestly entirely oh. depends on how the rest of our time here on Under Consultation falls together. Well, if you ever need, if you ever get to do an episode of when they start doing gaming shows for the computer channel. I was on a couple of them. Oh, you did get about, didn't you? Didn't you? I did. I used to, well, by then they just didn't care anymore. So I used to just go on straight away. And the, the, the producer knew I was. So I used to go straight through auditions and that. I was on that, yeah, that Trevor and Simon one. 
Games Republic. That the episode's on YouTube as well of me, and I was also on this uh, other one presented by Stuart Hall and the bloke who used to do Blues Clues in the UK. The one who gets upset if you think he's a uh, what's his name from Red Dwarf, Craig Charles, uh, Lister, Craig Charles. Yeah, yeah. I, and I played uh, NBA Jam against the captain of the uh, the London Towers. Oh, hmm. they used to be a team I supported. Ah, oh, yeah, the captain. I played against him, and he was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> NBA Jam and I also got uh, Annabelle Croft was there that day and I got her to sign my copy of NBA Jam now that is a unique item <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> Larry if we come across you in videos again we know we can reach out to you do you want to plug where you are what you're doing uh, I am over on YouTube at youtube.com slash Larry and on Twitter Larry Bundy Jr JR and we'll make sure we put those links in the show notes as well so people can check them out there. Oh, there you go. And buy my book. And buy his book. <laughs> buy my book. On Amazon now. Thanks very much, man. Well, that's all we've got time for for this bonus episode. Thank you so much to Guru Larry and thank you to Rick for these interviews. And thank you so much for listening. Please do give us a little subscribe, a rating and a review if you haven't already because it really helps us get noticed in those podcast feeds. If you want to get in touch with us, it's feedback at underconsultation.com. We're on Twitter at underconsolepod and on Instagram at under.console. You can also find us on our Discord server, details of which are in the show notes where there's discussions about all stuff you can provide feedback there in a dedicated feedback channel you can talk to us about what games you're playing or you can just hang out in the general chat where life the universe and everything is discussed and occasionally i drop little tidbits from behind the scenes about recording the show including some of the names i use on our recording software <laughs> And if you want to hear next week's show one week early and ad-free, head on over to patreon.com forward slash under console pod and back us at the £5 level. But if you want to go a step further and back us at the £10 level, you'll get a lovely merch pack bonus. Ash, what will they find inside? Oh, in that merch pack bonus, you'll get a mug, you'll get badges, you'll get stickers, you'll get a dib-dab, you'll get Foley of Luke shaking the badges and the stickers in front of the microphone and I've completely lost my place. <laughs> You'll get Pogs. You'll also get a discount voucher that knocks £5 off of our first T-shirt, which is available on the website underconsultation.com right now. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Kyrick, Phil, Simon, Nick, Sean, Adam, Adam, Cliff, Rich, Gordon, William and Misha. You all rule, just as every single person listening to this episode does. But that's going to do us for this bonus episode. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in seven days. Take care. Good night. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com 
Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.